listening to Ping, a new podcast by APNIC discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, Robbie Mitchell. If you're new to the show and are wondering what this podcast is all about, each fortnight we chat with internet researchers and operators from around the world about the research they are doing and insights they've gained into the well-being of the internet. For those who have been listening, welcome back and thanks for the shares, feedback and reviews. And if you subscribe, thanks for that too. In today's episode, we'll be chatting with Willem Tarup, Luke Hendricks, and Tom Carpe at NLNet Labs, a non-for-profit organization based in the Netherlands that develops free, liberally licensed open source software for DNS and BGP routing, including NSD, Unbound, Krill, and Routinator, as well as contributing to the standards process and networking research projects. One such project that we've been following on the APNIC blog for the last 18 months has seen Willem, Luke and Tom investigate how Express Data Path, or XDP as it's better known, can be used to improve the performance of DNS resolvers and increase the versatility of name servers as well as perform low-level measurements on high-speed links. For those not familiar with XDP, it is a hook that enables you to execute extended Berkeley packet filter code in the network driver. This is executed before an incoming packet is passed onto the networking stack in the kernel. Thus it provides certain filtering flexibility even at very high packet rates by simply attaching your BPF program to the network interface and not even requiring a reboot. However, as we learned in this podcast, XDP can do much more than filtering packets, including modifying packets, sending them out again directly, and passing them on to the network stack. To start, I've asked Luke to take us back to the start of the journey. And as you'll come to appreciate, it is a journey. Uh, well, I guess we have to go back uh, almost three or four years then. Um, I wasn't working at NLNet Labs back then. I was still working at university. And we were um, working with this, with this programming paradigm called P4. P4 is a, a, a DSL, a domain-specific language to tell your, your, uh, your switch, um, a specific switch, you know, P4 capable, to say, hey, for every incoming packet, do this. So there is a lot of flexibility um, while still having a lot of performance. Really cool technology, um, and we tried a lot of different things. Amongst others, in, in one of my last years, I tried to do something with DNS. And then I found out like DNS was really never made to be processed in hardware. It's horrible to do in hardware. There's so many, you know, arbitrary lengths and numbers of fields and things like that. And that's really not what the hardware allows you to do. Even uh, a very flexible thing like a P4 capable switch. But while working in this space of programmable data planes, there was this other thing, this XDP, it, it kept popping up. And um, well, I, I, I switched jobs, ended up at LNet Labs, and hey, apparently we do DNS here, right? I was still interested in this high performance and flexible uh, programmable data plane kind of stuff. But the P4 hardware was a expensive, you need to acquire the appliances and you need to get the right licenses. And um, there is this uh, software development kit and stuff that's hard to get hold of. And this XDP thing 
worked on end hosts and all you needed was a recent Linux kernel. So that sounded like something that we could actually uh, look into without having to spend too much money. And if we can cook something up that's useful in terms of DNS, that's also available for you know the greater DNS community because only they need is, like us, a recent Linux kernel. So um, I think I had a chat with, with Willem at the time. I said, hey, why don't we apply for this call for proposals that uh, Surfnet has out every year? Uh, it's called Research on Networks with, with Ronald van der Pol. Why don't we look into this, this combination of XTP and DNS aiming at creating small programs that help out operators in need? Could be uh, with a security uh, uh, problem or just resilience, like reducing loads which turns out to be a perfect use case for, uh, for XTP and DNS, but we'll get into that. Ronald was very interested in, uh, in XTP as well. Uh, so we got some funding and uh, we entered this, uh, this research program, which gave us the time and the resources to dive into this in a very experimental way. And that's really nice because I guess one of the main things that we found out is whenever we think, ah, this should be very trivial in XTP, it will ruin your entire week, at least one week. So uh, don't get me wrong, because I, I think I speak for, for everyone here. If I say we, we love tinkering with XTP, uh, especially in the context of DNS, because it does turn out to be quite a nice match. But we have been swearing at the tools and the components of XTP, for sure. So it's cheap in terms of you don't have to invest in the associated hardware that XTP can replace. But the resourcing of it in terms of playing and experimenting with it does seem like it can be a time sink. Is that a fair assessment? It's a time sink, that's for sure. But it's worth it in the end because we came up with a couple of things that can reduce the number of packets that are actually processed by the software that is running on the, on the machines itself. So the actual DNS name server software in a way that it doesn't matter what kind of software or what brand or branch or whatever you are running there. So whether it's uh, NSD uh, or whether it's Pint or uh, PowerDNS or not, it's what we call server software agnostic. So it is a time sink, but I guess in the end it's, it's worth it. And not only for us, but really for the greater uh, DNS community. Indeed. I mean, there have already been and will be so many lessons from your own experience, some of which you've shared already on the APNIC blog, which we're thankful for. Uh, we'll put these links in the description. And I'm sure that like all the other great work that you and your team at NLNet Labs do, the greater internet community is super grateful for this, often selfless research, and the outcomes you're sharing from it. You say how you've been playing with it on and off for about two to three years. I use the word playing, but I'm sure you've been beating your head against the desk for a lot of it too. For me, this process is reflective of the internet community too, as there's always been someone who's been willing to tinker and play with new and old technologies to uncover something that we all didn't really expect it could be used to do, which has certainly been the case here with XTP. Before we keep going down the rabbit hole though, Tom, could you help clarify for some of our listeners you may be still unsure what XDP is exactly? Sure, Robbie. Well, first, to, to explain XDP, you have to go back one step further. And we'll, we'll then talk about the Berkeley packet filter. And in this case, the extended Berkeley packet filter, because classically, it's been used for uh, TCP DOM. It works great. But in around 2017, they 
made some adjustments to it and it made it much broader and much more powerful, really. And one of the things they added there was uh, the Express Data Path, XDP, right? And one of the powers it has is it's a data hook. So whenever something enters the computer, like something from your network cable coming into the computer, the first thing it, it touches is the XDP hook. So from there, you can run your software or your XDP program before anything else uh, in the kernel, really. It doesn't touch the network stack, doesn't touch anything user space yet, of course. So it's really interesting. And how BPF works is it lets you uh, run a C program, which you compile using the BPF tools, and you run it inside of the Linux kernel, which of course uh, means it's technically arbitrary code, which is maybe slightly dangerous. So there are some caveats to this. Mainly, you have to get through the verifier. And what the verifier does, it makes sure your code is not infinite and a few other things as well. But this, this is basically what Luke is getting to. It's always the challenge of getting things past the verifier. We uh, internally call it the dreaded verifier because uh, <laughs> you can write a great program and then the verifier says, no, sorry, can't do. So based off of that, you also have no libraries in, available in the kernel, which is uh, you have to write most things yourself. Uh, sure, there, there are some timekeeping stuff, which we do use in some of the programs, but it has to be in the BPF library or otherwise you don't have access to it because the program itself doesn't actually live in user space, but in kernel space. Currently, I think Czetnik has a program called Not, which Luke mentioned earlier, and they use this special cutoff point from that XTP provides where it basically bypasses the entire network stack in the kernel and sends the entire thing directly to user space, which is, you know, in terms of performance. Super efficient. Yeah, it's super efficient. But if you do that for every single packet, of course, it's, it's huge performance gains. And well, not has this implemented in their name server. And I think there's plans to do it in NS uh, NSD as well. There's actually currently a branch, but we will be working on that in the near future. So this is something that you would also look to replicate in NLNet? Oh, definitely. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And Willem, has there been any other registers also interested in looking at this? Uh, I don't know. But uh, yeah, so this is indeed uh, a approach. The, uh, the Express Data Path already says it. It's a direct path from the network card to the user space program. When we started to experiment with uh, XTP, a few months later, NOT announced that they were having this hook in the NOT DNS authoritative uh, server. And uh, yeah, it uh, has proven to be a huge uh, performance gain for their software indeed. And uh, we, we started working on that uh, as well a little bit later. This work was postponed a little bit due to a lack of uh, resources. The guy working on that, he, uh, <laughs> he left, so to say. But we will continue with that uh, this year. But in the project, the Research on Net, uh, Networks uh, project uh, for uh, SurfNet, we started a bit different. We started to play with programming these uh, XDP programs and trying to do DNS stuff with them without first trying to set up this uh, express data path, so to say. 
So the C programs that run on this XDP layer, on this uh, direct entry, that's what we did, which is uh, quite interesting. And we, we started actually with a very nice application of XDP, uh, dropping packets. What do you mean by dropping packets? Is this something for Luke to explain? Dropping stuff sounds bad, right? If you don't think long enough about it. Though in your, your generic or your general uh, DNS deployment, perhaps you want to drop a lot of stuff because a lot of stuff that comes in, you can really do without, right? There's a lot of, can I say crap? There's a lot of crap coming in. It's the DNS, of course you can say crap. <laughs> Perfect. So there is a fair share of ingress traffic that you don't want to reply to. So the best point to you know stop processing that is as early on as possible. And as Tom explained, XDP is the right place to do this before passing it on to user space. So when you write the, a program in this C, well, it's a, it's a subset of C, I guess, uh, language, eventually to be loaded in uh, XDP, you have to make sure that your program returns one of four or five return codes. And these specify uh, you know, what, what's going to happen with this packet. So you can either say, I want this thing to be dropped. So that's what, what this program is about. Or you say, I want it to be sent back over the same interface it came in, or I want to pass it on to user space, for example. So then you can pass it on to the name server or the, or the recursive resolver that's running there. So with this program, you really determine the destiny of that packet. So the first thing we implemented to experiment with this, this XDP thing was something, I guess Willem came up with the title, uh, it's a DNS says no, inspired by this, uh, this little Britain uh, sketch, the computer says no one. And its only function was to say no to every incoming query. The easy way is to drop it, like re return this, this, this uh, drop return code and be done with it. But we wanted to make it a little bit more fancy and return an actual answer to the querier, but with the truncate bit set. Basically saying, uh, we've seen your UDP query, please come back over TCP because uh, we're not going to process this one. So that was one of these trivial ideas, right? We'll set one bit and we send it out. It's just a matter of toggling this one bit and setting the right uh, or returning the right return code and we're, we'll be done before noon. Well, if you read the blog post, yeah, you see this, this took like three or four iterations in the end because you're working on such a low level in XDP. That means that you also have to take care of low level stuff that otherwise is handled by your network stack. So once you start mangling in that packet, changing bits, swapping source and destination addresses around, your checksum doesn't make sense at all anymore, right? And you, you never realize this, but this work stack that's, you know, that's running somewhere in that kernel uh, for years and years, it's doing all of this heavy lifting for you. But now suddenly you have to do all those things yourself. And that's all doable. And there's also some helpers in the BPF uh, library. So that is all doable. But you really have to go back to those networking classes that you think, oh yeah, checksums, yeah, those sort of thing. So then you're at iteration two, I think, already. From what you've explained, Luke, this sounds like a real micromanaging process and one you have to really commit to. While this was commonplace back in the day, it's something that is often outsourced these days. But that said, it is something that could be improved upon with many organizations loosely managing their networks, leaving ports open to all DNS traffic, which leaves you open to malware attacks or anyone to get access to your network. 
in this respect, maybe we need to all go back to university and refresh ourselves with DNS 101 to start taking a more hands-on approach towards controlling what traffic we are receiving from the DNS instead of just relying on the layer stack. And this is what XDP can help with, yeah? Yeah, actually, it's, it's nice that you mention it like this because I was thinking about, you know, what did we learn and how, what kind of experience that we got from tinkering with this. And I think working on such a low level is really a nice way to get to know uh, network protocols again, if you will. So not only DNS, because I mean, we do DNS at labs, right? But uh, on the network layer, like, you're not really touching that anymore, right? And it's really nice. Well, I guess some people will disagree, but it's really nice, you know, to work an entire afternoon just to get that one bit right. So when you use DIG to test a query, it actually shows something and it doesn't uh, hang itself. So once we did this checksumming thing and we thought, okay, now we're there, you know, you fire up Dick and you send this test query, but then what's the error message? It says you have some extra, some extra bytes or something. Willem, what's this? Like there's the, there's the cookie, right? That's right. Uh, uh, in the query, you can have uh, eDNS options, uh, which are considered, uh, eDNS is a, a header extension of DNS. It developed somewhere in the 90s, I think, initially to allow for larger answers than 512 bytes, which uh, used to be the default for DNS. And it also allows to have other options than that are currently in the DNS header. But since there is already the DNS header at the start of uh, the packet, and uh, following that the question, there was no space to insert that header ex extension before uh, where all the variable length data in the DNS packet uh, comes. So it's actually at the end of the packet, which is uh, quite inconvenient for IP tables and you know stuff that uh, people used to do uh, filtering with. But XDP, as it is a, a compiled C program, can handle that. You can use XDP to get to this header. And then in, indeed with the DNS uh, says no program that uh, just returned refused, you have to strip off that extra header or, or replace it with something because a header is end-to-end -end communication, right? So it's, it's not part of the question, so to say. If the client says, I have a eDNS, uh, I have a cookie, we, we will come to that, or it has some other extra header option, uh, which you will uh, talk a little bit more about later, and you're not doing anything with that, then you should not echo back that cookie or that, uh, that potting uh, option. So it was already challenging indeed to just say no in XTP. So we based our uh, first blog post on this. Our first blog post was uh, called uh, DNS says no. And we were thinking, yeah, what are the practicalities of this, right? So we did DNS completely in XDP, but we realized, well, we're now actually answering DNS, but we don't have to. We can just look at the packet, do something with it, drop it, or refuse it, return it, refused, or with a TC bit set, or pass it upwards to the software. And we realized it really doesn't matter what kind of software you are running. And what we also realized is that you did not have to anticipate it beforehand because you, you already have a running system, right? With uh, whatever software uh, you like. And at any time you can load a XDP program 
that does something with your incoming DNS traffic and sort of augments the uh, way your DNS uh, server is uh, handling DNS, or you can augment it. Yeah, we realized that DNS, as it is already, as it is implemented in the different authoritative name servers, is already sort of layered. On top of it, in an authoritative name server is database management. You get a question for a name, and the authoritative server will look it up, request the answer. And it will, it does other things to manage this database. It will get zones from other authoritatives if it's a secondary or serve it uh, to other authoritatives if it's a primary. It will process DNS updates. It's just keeping up to date this, uh, this database. And also for a recursive uh, resolver, it, it's similar. It doesn't have the database per se. It has a cache and it will on behalf of someone that uh, does a request uh, look up the answer on all the authoritative servers uh, on the uh, internet and uh, return it. But this is only part of current DNS software. Below it is all sorts of other stuff that has nothing to do with the DNS database, like access control. Right? You should not be able to access them from outside your network. And also for authoritative name servers, rate limiting of queries because the DNS is a great means to use in a distributed denial of service attack, because you send a very small query, right? And you can get a really large answer over UDP. So there has not been a handshake. An attacker can send spoof the source IP address, send a very small query to an authoritative name server, and the IP address that was spoofed, the victim, so to say, will get a really large answer. And if the attacker does this in a distributed way with a lot of authoritative uh, name servers, then yeah, the victim will uh, be drowned in uh, large uh, responses. And there's other stuff the DNS header contains, especially the extended header, like DNS cookies and padding. And those kind of stuff, which have nothing to do with the database, those are a perfect fit for XDP. Yeah, so NLNet Labs is situated on the Science Park in Amsterdam, right across the university. And the university has a very nice master program called the System and Network Engineering Master. And we work a lot together with the university because if we have an ID and we want to try it out, we write a research project description and hand it over to this, the System and Network Engineering Master. And they provide us with students that will actually do that work. <laughs> And uh, we can then uh, present about it all the, on conferences and stuff and uh, make sure stuff happens, the research we want to do. So Luke and I uh, realized this is the practicality of it, this XTP used in this way, right? Besides using it to bypass the kernel and go directly to your software, you can build server agnostic use at any time before anticipating it beforehand uh, a augmentation of DNS that deals with stuff like rate limiting or dealing with denial of service attack. So we wrote a description for a research project and submitted that. And Tom 
responded to that and started working uh, on that. So Tom, what captured your attention about this project? I have to, I have to correct Willem on one thing here before we get into that. It's now called the Security and Network Engineering Masters, but you know, trivial. So to answer your question, I don't really know. I think <laughs> uh, I've, I've always had a special interest for low-level stuff. So C programming, C++ programming, that sort of thing. And also, this was a nice, relatively small project, like bound project, programming something which you didn't get to do a lot in the masters. And it just seemed really interesting working with something that was technically really small, but had a, could, could have a really large impact. So I think for my main project uh, for a thesis was query rate limiting, I think we're calling it, which is basically what Willem just described. It's based on a set of metrics. XTP gets a number of packets and, and you start filtering them on the source IP. So uh, let's say, Robbie, you sent me a lot of queries every nanosecond or whatever. And at some point I'm like, hey, this guy is asking the same amount of question, uh, the same question every time. And he's asking it a lot. Maybe we'll stop listening to him for a little bit. Maybe we'll just tell him to back off or either come back over TCP. Well, this could, of course, trivially be done, uh, as we all know, with XTP. And it only took me, what was it, eight weeks, I think, <laughs> six weeks. <laughs> Anyway, no, um, we, I, did, I think we did two major rounds. I think we described this in the, in the blog on APNIC as well. And the first one was based on the number of times the source IP address gets seen by the XTP program. If it's too many times between, I don't know, uh, one second, then we tell it, okay, from now on, from this, the rest of the, this entire second, please come back over TCP or either drop it. It's a choice uh, and it's a con configurable choice as well. This worked rather well. We did some tests on it and it, it does show that you get a lot of performance back, I would say, because you, you don't do anything with the, with the network stack. As we said before, uh, the, the user space program, so NSD in this case, didn't have to do anything really. So we just answered queries where we wanted to answer them and didn't answer queries if we didn't want to answer them. And then for the second round, we figured, okay, but hey, there's, let's say there's people we trust more or uh, configurable IP addresses that we trust. So let's say, Robbie, you keep spamming me, but Willem is also sending me queries. And, but I know Willem, of course, and I know his IP address. So I fill it into this data structure, which XTP provides, or BPF provides, as it's said, which is called a map. And in this map, I add Willem. And so every time a query comes in, it checks, hey, is it in this map of VIPs of the people I trust? And if it is, we just pass it along and it gets answered by the user space program. But for everyone else, we adhere to a strict query rate limiting policy. And if you exceed that, then you either get dropped or asked to return over TCP. So the map works in a similar way as a layer listing? Well, the, the map is just an arbitrary data structure. But in this case, it's exactly like... Uh, yeah, allow listing, I think we're calling it. I think this, this was actually like quite a nice way to de deny distributed denial of service attacks, as Willem described, because you could argue that you could, or theorize even, that you could see a lot of the same uh, spoofed source IP address. And if you do, then this program works great for that. Uh, this was enough to hire me at, at Nullet Labs eventually. <laughs> 
So I now get to program C uh, every day, <laughs> which I think is really fun. But Each to their own, Tom. And as you said, it's only taken you around eight weeks to create this, yeah? Well, like, don't, don't get me wrong. It's, it's not eight weeks of programming. It was like maybe two weeks or three weeks of programming. But like, I had to get up from scratch, of course, because I knew absolutely nothing about this. And also DNS, you know, you get a little bit in university, but not that much. And I think this was just a great stepping stone for the rest of the programs that we wrote, such as um, Cookies, which is actually something I think Willem will maybe discuss, because he is one of the authors on the RFC for it. Thanks for that segue, Tom. Uh, so Willem, for those who aren't aware of the ITF draft you've been working on, or haven't yet read your recent post on the APNIC blog, can you explain what DNS cookies are and why they are important in query rate limiting? So rate limiting is indeed a great use case for XTP because you're not dealing with this packet, you're not answering this request. And so any time spent on it is a waste of resources, so to say. To do this immediately in XTP is perfect because then it does not have to get through the uh, Linux kernel stack in which all sorts of CPU resources and memory resources are spent and the use space software doesn't have to deal with it uh, anymore. But indeed, uh, to make sure that uh, benign uh, requesters are not hampered by uh, rate limiting, you need this allow list. But indeed, I've been co-author of development of uh, DNS cookies, not the initial uh, RFC, but the one that uh, standardized the recipe for baking DNS cookies. And DNS cookies are a way to automatically create this allow list, so to say, within the DNS protocol itself. And it works as follows. So a requester or a client creates a client DNS cookie for a server if it starts to contact a server, and this is just a random number. And then the server, when it sees the client cookie, it generates a server cookie based on the client cookie, the client IP address, a timestamp, because those cookies expire at some point, and a secret only known to the server. And then it takes all these ingredients, client cookie, client IP, timestamp, secret, and hashes it. That hash is called the server cookie, and it is returned to the client. And so because it is hashed, nobody on the network that can see this cookie and knows what's inside, right? Only the server, because it has the server secret, can, can see, hey, this is a cookie that I made. So the idea is that the client, in the next time that it does a query, brings along this specially uh, baked cookie that the server makes for the client. And then the server recognizes, hey, I've seen this client before. I'm just going to respond without rate limiting because I know this is not a spoofed source IP address. This is a benign requester. And if you are doing rate limiting in XTP, then you have to do DNS cookies in XTP as well, because whether you have a valid cookie or not determines whether you will be subject to query rate limiting. So, because we have to do it, we started to implement that. And uh, this was a challenge because you have to uh, skip the query name because a query name in DNS is maximum of 255 bytes. 
So that's excellent for XTP. That's a hard limit. The verifier loves that, right? Because it can see, okay, it terminates. I can load this safely into the Linux kernel without it spending infinite time on my program or something. But the DNS name also consists of labels. And each label has a maximum of uh, 63 octets. But the DNS specification, RC 1034 and 35, from Paul Mukapitrix, they don't specify this is the maximum number of label, labels you can have. Now, everything has to fit within the, those 255 bytes. So uh, given that each label takes two bytes, one saying this is how long this label is, and then the content of the label, you can have a maximum of 127 labels. But they can also be longer. Right? They could be 63 bytes. You could have four labels of 63 bytes. So the thing with the verifier is that it all always assumes the worst case. So when writing a routine in XTP that skips over the query name, the verifier will assume that every label is 63 bytes because it's possible. And so you have 127 times 63 bytes is eight kilobytes already to just skip the query name. Uh, after that, you also have to look for the right EDNS option for the client cookie. And those EDNS options can be like 64K each. So that's very quickly the verifier will say, well, you know, I'm not going to load this because this opens up all sorts of possibilities for packets that are larger or for situations that are larger than the packet can be. And uh, your program will address something out, outside of the packet limit. So that's not nice. Luckily, we learned that you can split XTP programs in several pieces. Once you've passed the query uh, name, the verifier will assume that the packet is already eight kilobytes. But then you can say, well, okay, I'm, I leave it at this. Why don't you go and load this other XTP program and uh, continue with processing this packet from there? So it's like a filtering layer. Yeah, that's right. And this other uh, XTP program can then say, here's the query name, and it has to be within 255 bytes. And if not, then I just drop this because it's malformed. But if so, then I will continue with trying to look for the client cookie. So this is uh, just an indication in the kind of challenges uh, you get when programming for uh, with BPF. Because, you know, the verifier is, is quite strict, but it needs to be because you're, you're sort of changing the, the wires on the wheels of your car while driving. Anyway, so the hash of uh, DNS cookies are based on SIP hash. SIP hash is in the Linux kernel, but not available to uh, BPF programs, unfortunately. Uh, you cannot use libraries in X BPF programs. But uh, luckily, the C code to do this was uh, just compilable in BPF, and it had nice limits. So uh, the verifier didn't complain too much about it. And uh, we could just do DNS cookie verification in XTP. 
but that's just verification of cookies. So the, uh, to do a fully implementation of DNS cookies, we also need to do creation of the DNS cookie in the XTP. Is that possible? I mean, you've only been talking about incoming packets. Can you do creation? Mm, not really. Not really. Oh, yes. <laughs> we found a way. There is a trick, so to say. So the trick is, indeed, you have an XTP program is just something passes through it. And you, you can either drop it, change it, pass it along, return it. But you cannot, like a normal proxy would do, like DNS disk, for example. Oh, I have this query. I uh, serve it up to the user space program, get a response, and then do something else with it. And then return it on uh, the network again. This is not possible with XTP, but there is a another layer. So XTP is re really a entry point in the Linux kernel. There's another entry point in the Linux kernel called uh, traffic control, and it deals with outgoing packets. So it's normally used for queuing mechanisms, traffic shaping, making sure that you don't use more than the available bandwidth or optimize bandwidth usage for uh, optimal uh, performance. And uh, you can run a BPF program there as well, which is great, right? So you have a BPF program for incoming packets and one for outgoing packets, but it's sort of weird. A BPF program for a network packets on the traffic control layer is like it is coming from the user space DNS software, but it looks like it's coming from the network because to do anything with it, you have to pass the Ethernet header, for example, to get to the IP header and you have to parse that and then parse the UDP header and you have to parse all that to get to the DNS response and then do something with the DNS response. But more importantly, the program for incoming traffic and the program for outgoing traffic, they don't share anything. They're completely separate programs. So they don't have state in common. Like a normal DNS proxy would just take the query, send it up to another DNS server or something, wait for the answer, and it still has the state. Oh, this query came from this client. I have sent it to that server. I will uh, wait for the answer and then do something with it and return it back to my client. So this is with XTP and a BPF program on the TC layer, not possible. So it is possible to create a special uh, map to store state in and then correlate a, a response from the user space software with the incoming packet. But the power that comes natural with XTP is that you don't have to do anything that the kernel has to do, like locking, for example, because you know it has to schedule packets to a process for uh, processing. If you would share this state, then if you're using a map to share the state between those two BPF programs, then you're introducing locking again, because you cannot be sure that the CPU that deals with the outgoing packet is the same CPU as the incoming packet. So it's performance loss. Uh, you can argue that it's performance loss for clients with cookies, right? With verified cookies, possibly. 
but you also need to do this for clients with unverified uh, cookies. So yeah, we didn't consider it the, the right use case for XTP to also do cookie creation in BPF as well. So our implementation to which we uh, reference from the blog post as well, does only verification. Now, Willem, this project has been going on for over two years. The impression I've got from your blog posts and the discussion thus far is that it's been very experimental. So has it been worth it? I mean, are you closer to realizing the goals to improve the performance of DNS resolvers and increase the versatility of name servers, as well as perform low-level measurements on high-speed links that you set out to? Indeed. So is it, is it worth it? What are the practicalities of uh, uh, using XTP this way with uh, DNS? Well, it's a balance. Right, so uh, can you do any fee feature with XCP? No. Maybe DNS cookies is a feature that you can do or cookie verification, but doing a fully fledged implementation is not worth it because loss of the uh, power that otherwise would come natural with uh, XCP. But that you did not have to anticipate it beforehand to use those kind of DNS uh, service augmentations. And that it doesn't matter what kind of software you're using, that's also worth something, right? And you can use it right when you need it. And if you have a mixed software environment, you could have uniform form configuration of a DNS feature. Actually, we didn't do the fully uh, fledged DNS augmentation, feature augmentation with DNS cookies, but we did do it with padding. So Unbound serves DNS over TLS for a long time already. So it's uh, encrypted DNS. Huh? It uh, delivers privacy. Uh, eavesdropper on the uh, network cannot see what the requester is querying and what the uh, server is answering. But uh, research has shown that from the packet sizes, you can actually make educated guesses sometimes to what those queries and answers uh, can be. So to do it completely private, you need to pad those requests and also the responses. So that packet sizes do not reveal what, what's going on there. And we have padding in Unbound if you're doing DNS over TLS. You can see that padding, if you're not doing it over TLS, could also be a risk for a potential means to do amplification attack, right? Because it's making the response larger. So that's why we did not enable it for UDP and only for DNS over TCP or DNS over TLS. Now, there was a request on the Unbound uh, GitHub uh, issues from a user, a feature request. He says, I really want to have this on UDP as well. Because in my setup, I have a DNS dist running as a DNS over TLS terminator, and it's forwarding all the queries to several unbound resolvers and some other resolvers as well. And a DNS dist at that time did not do padding. At this time, it, it does. But even if you have a look at the implementation, they will say we rather have the resolver do it than do it in DNS dist because it takes DNS dist also a lot of extra effort to search whether or not there's already padding in the eDNS options and to add some extra padding to it. So we thought 
this is a perfect use case for PPF and to do a fully fledged implementation, right? Because you have to check, did the client come with uh, a padding option? And if so, then return with a padding reply as well. So we did this implementation just as a proof of concept that indeed this, this map can be used uh, to do a fully uh, fledged uh, DNS augmentation in, in BPF. Actually, uh, Tom used this uh, implementation to uh, uh, do a uh, ITF 112 hackathon project. Maybe you can uh, elaborate a little bit on that, Tom. He's put you on the spot here, Tom, hasn't he? I have to dig in my memory now, yeah. There is this ongoing ITF draft for extended DNS error reporting. And uh, this is basically a continuation on uh, extended DNS errors, which is currently RFC 8914. I'm also currently implementing that in Unbound, so I know. <laughs> so this continuation is basically a way of reporting back EDEs that you got from a name server or a resolver, which is actually quite nice because then you get feedback and saying, hey, uh, by the way, your, I don't know, a DNS sec is broken for this zone. You should probably fix that. Or, or at least you can interpret that yourself. But uh, we, we discussed this during this, this interim meeting on the ITF and the author didn't actually know if, so, so let's say you send a DNS message to me and I respond to you with an EDE or, or an EDUR, uh, as the abbreviation goes, while the author doesn't like it. <laughs> so an EDUR response. Well, if he didn't send an EDNS message or, or actually a request for an EDE or something uh, to you, and he got something back, do, do network resolvers, do they accept that? Is, is that something that can be relied upon? Well, uh, we, of course, all didn't know the answer. So we thought, well, that's actually a nice project for XDP. Actually, I think this is on the TC layer, but that's beside the point, of course. And it's quite interesting because we did do this research with the RIPE Atlas probes. And with these probes, they just basically, you program them to send requests and get something back uh, or program them to send it to another resolver. And in the resolvers, in the networks of the XDP probes, we can actually test those by sending this one query to our XDP running program. And then... When it gets it back, it has an unrequested either response back. And from that, you can, you can actually say like, hey, uh, this, is, this is accepted because you, you can measure that back at the probe, right? So, hey, this is accepted by the, net, uh, by the network resolver or it's not. So, yeah, uh, when we, we, did this measure, we did the measurements with the uh, RIPE Atlas probes, and then we found out that it's roughly a 1% cutoff. Or actually, I think it was even 0.1% of all the traffic that gets dropped by this, which of course seems rather small, like 0.1%, what is that? But if you extrapolate that to the entire network, in the entire internet, that can be quite a lot. So this was actually like used in the development of the uh, Eater standard, or is actually being used, and we hope to have benefited yeah, and I think it was also not a great effort to implement it. I think Tom did it in uh, one day uh, based on uh, the code example we already had. Yeah, so EDE is indeed the extended DNS error. You know, normally if you would have a DNSSEC bogus answer, it would just say serve fail and you wouldn't know what's wrong. 
gemaakt en een extended DNS RSA's. De uh, signature expired or it's the wrong signer. And this new standard, besides reporting the error to the client, also reports the error to the authoritative server that has the broken DNSSEC zone. But to ma make that happen, the authoritative server has to report first where the uh, resolver has to do its error reporting. And for this, it sends a eDNS option, a header extension, which the recursive resolver didn't initially ask for. So the question was whether resolvers would accept that or not. Conclusion was that indeed not every resolver accepts it, but it's like a large majority of resolvers is fine with it. 99.99 something percent. And so instead of having to modify existing DNS authoritative server to do this, we could simply take this padding program and instead of returning padding, now return this option, which says, this is the host where I want to receive my reports, always the either option, as Tom calls it. To finish, let's circle back to Luke. What are the plans for the future of this project? It seems this journey has already taken you along roads you didn't expect it to, which is a reflection of XDP and how you can use it in so many different ways. Willem has talked about how this is helping to develop the standards process too, which is great. But what other avenues do you and the team at Anolnet Labs plan on exploring? Well, as you mentioned, we have been working with this for, for two years now. Uh, and after the first year, and I guess specifically the rate limiting program, we got some questions, some requests from the community, uh, like, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And that's stuff we have been working on in the second year, and we're currently uh, polishing and writing up and blog posts. And one notable thing there is, hey, this rate limiting approach is really interesting. Could you enhance it in a way that we can simply add queue names, domain names to a blog list? sometimes we see just a, uh, a huge amount of queries coming in with, for example, generated subdomains uh, in the third or the fourth label. And we just want to block the entire domain. And we'll deal later in a more sophisticated way, but we really need some load reduction right now. Could you do this? This turned out to be one of these things that seemed trivial. Uh, and Willem just explained how we can skip the queue name in a query so we can get to the cookie if it's there, so we can get to the end of the DNS packet. Turns out if you actually want to use the queue name to do the matching, we need to copy it. And that's a whole new can of worms. We managed to do it. As I said, we're, we're, we're polishing a couple of things there now, uh, but it was, uh, it was uh, quite challenging. And it's nice to see because this was an actual request from uh, an operator in the community saying, hey, this, this, this might be useful for us. Another thing we've been working on is not so much active mangling with packets, so not dropping packets or sending them back uh, uh, with the truncation bit set or, or do padding or do cookies, but more passive things like extracting features from DNS queries to eventually provide metrics to operators. Many operators use things like a, a Prometheus uh, and Grafana uh, setup or, or perhaps InfluxDB and Grafana to uh, you know, get metrics from other systems and to visualize them and to get some insights in their daily operations. Can we do this with, with XDP as well? 
And where do you want to do this? Do you want to do this on the ingress traffic in XTP? Do you want to do this on the outgoing traffic to see what kind of DNS queries you actually answered? And here we, we had a couple of iterations where we realized, wait, if we also do the rate limiting uh, and perhaps some cookie functionality in XTP, we might be dropping stuff, which we, of course, then do not answer via our user space software. So we will never see statistics on those things, not from the user space software, nor from perhaps our own implementation uh, in the TC layer. What would actually help operators if, is if we can get these statistics from what happens in XDP, right? So they have an additional set of metrics. They have their, it's often DNS tab, I think nowadays, formatted uh, a data set of what actually was answered by your, by your name server. And in addition, we can now say, hey, and this was all dropped because of this and this reason coming from, from this and this subnet, blah, blah, blah. So that's another thing we're, we're still uh, working on. Um, but spoiler alert, we managed to, to actually you know, get these statistics in a Prometheus uh, format. So it's actually usable for, for operators as well. And another thing that was, uh, I guess, even more challenging is uh, if you want to show a top N, like a top 10, a top 100, a top 10,000, if you will, of, of queue names that you've answered or that you've seen coming in, heading towards your uh, recursive resolver or your name server. How would you do that? Because we have this, this, this same challenge as the previous example where you have to copy the, the queue name, but you also have to store a input set, which is practically unlimited, right? Again, think about generated labels as, as subdomains as such. You need a way to filter out those kind of things and work with, with certain thresholds to store this, well, eventually the top 10 or the top 100 of queue names. But how do you do this in, in XDP? We also found a way uh, to do that. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's what we're currently uh, polishing and, and, and writing up. Uh, and we hope that's, um, that's, that's also useful for the community. We also have another couple of ideas uh, that have been on our want list to, to spend some, some cycles on. Things like what we call a hot self-managing cache. Like we see queries coming in. Can we find the answer that came from user space? But for a next query for the same queue name and the same uh, record type, can we actually directly serve the answer from XDP instead of going to, to user space? So this is like a hybrid solution where the first answer, well, we need user space. As Willem mentioned, there is this whole database, you know, on, on top of the name server uh, where all the actual info lies. But for the second query, if it's not expired, there is this performance gain that we, we might uh, benefit from. Other things are what we call zone sharding or you know, split up, uh, uh, do, do load balancing. Uh, that's, that's another well, clear performance gain or serve a complete zone from XDP. So not even have the user space database. Perhaps can we, can we serve the entire root zone from XDP? And eventually, as was also mentioned, uh, I think we can now finally look at what things that we've learned from the past two years can we put in, in one way or another in, in NSD or perhaps in Unbound, so in our DNS software, that we get the performance gains, that we get uh, a better security, better resilience, those kind of things. So I guess the main thing for the coming year is, what's, uh, what's, what's, what's the saying? Pick the fruits of our, of our labor in terms of uh, 
putting the generated knowledge actually into into our products. Yeah, and that's what you need to do, don't you? I mean, you need to take stock of what you have learned and be able to show what you've learned from it. And that often means converting that knowledge into products. So what started as quite theoretical, you've been able to find the practical aspects of it, and that just required time to do this fundamental exploring and tinkering. Thank you, Will and Luke and Tom, for waking up and taking this call this morning. Uh, it's been fascinating following your journey these past two years via the APNIC blog. I admit it was a topic that I had a hard time following the first few times I read about it, but your recent post and speaking to you today has helped clarify a lot of the concepts and shown that what did start as theoretical has a lot of practical aspects that you're only scratching the surface of. So thanks. Thank you, Robbie. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. And thanks to everyone who made it this far. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If so, please do subscribe, write a review, and tell your colleagues about it. To learn more about this project, check out the links in the show description and check back at the APNIC blog for further updates. Finally, if you've got a story or research to share, get in contact via email, ping at apnic.net or APNIC social media channels. And be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time.